Let's pray. Yes, Lord, indeed, you are the very breath in us. You give us the breath in our bodies. You are our sunshine. You are our source of light. And so we do sing your praises. And Lord, thank you that we can come and enthusiastically sing, not because we're being swept up, but because it's from our hearts. And the truth has sunk into our hearts, and we want to worship you. Lord, thank you for the difference you've made in our lives. You've brought us from death to life. You've brought us from everlasting being without you to everlasting being in your presence. We give you praise. And so, Lord, now as we open your word, as we hear what you have to say to us through your living word, speak to our very hearts, Lord, again. Bring conviction in us through your spirit. And may we worship our great creator, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, we're going to... Um, Carry on with our studies through Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 to 16. I was going to go through to chapter 5 verse 1 to 9, but there's just 1 to 10. Sorry, but there's just too much. So I've split it in two and we're just looking at the end of chapter 4. So you could start turning there now and then if you'd like, um, could you please turn to Romans as well. Just a bit of application there already at the beginning. Romans chapter 3. Verse 21 to 26, we'll read through that first. So Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's the invitation from God's word right at the beginning of this message today from Romans. God's grace is available to all. There's no exclusion clause there. Anyone who will come and bow the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord, you will receive him as Lord. And he will come into your life and he will become master and give you direction for the rest of this life into eternity. There's the invitation to you. So let's hear God's word as he speaks to us today. And then turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What an invitation from God's word as well. Salvation found in Jesus Christ does more than just keep us out of hell. If you thought that you were saved just so that you would jump free from hell, you've missed out on 99% of the truth. You see, salvation through Jesus Christ brings spiritual life to us, but it brings spiritual life to us every day. Salvation in Jesus Christ is therefore that 365 days, 24-hour existence that you and I live while we're on this earth. There's the 99% of salvation in your life. So have you felt like giving up lately? As Christians, we all struggle through things. We felt that you're perhaps struggling with those same issues constantly, and you seem to be treading water. I spoke about this before. This passage is for you and me. This passage is there for us, not because of the words spoken here, but because of the person the words describe. It's all about the person. The words don't keep us out of hell. Listen to to what I'm saying carefully. These words we've read don't keep us out of hell. The person of Jesus Christ does. He keeps us out of hell. The person of Jesus Christ is the one that it's all about. These words don't give us spiritual life. The person of Jesus Christ does. Why? Because he's our great high priest. And these words that God has given to us, His living words, point us to His Son. That's their function. They point us to Jesus Christ. Well, we've said He's our great high priest. Let's first look a little bit at the imperfect priesthood. And that's in the Old Testament where it was um, an institution put there by God. And we're going to be looking um, more at at that next time when we meet around chapter 5. So hold your horses for that. I'm not going to go too much into the priesthood, just to highlight some of the functions of the high priest in Israel, because that's what this text is about. So the high priests of ancient Israel were appointed by God. They didn't appoint themselves. They were appointed by God, and they were to be mediators between God and the people. They were to come between God and the people. People would sin, they would come to the temple, and the priests would sacrifice daily for them. Animals would be sacrificed, blood would be spilt, and these priests' function was to come between God's wrath and the people. To save them from His wrath. But it was a symbolical coming before the Lord. And as the high priest came 
once a year to the temple and enter into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement on, on Yom Kippur. It was a symbolical coming before the Lord. It was a symbol of something that would happen later. As animal blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat as a symbolical sacrifice to pay for the sins of the people, and yes, it was a busy, uh, uh, sorry, yes, it was a messy business. Shedding all that blood every single day, the smell of blood, the smell of burnt blood and flesh. Lots of animals being slaughtered every day. It was to remind them of how messy sin is before the Lord. It stinks. It was deliberately meant to be like. And so as these people came, and as the high priest came, and he went into the Holy of Holies, it was a symbolical sacrifice to pay for their sins. And that's not all. The high priest was also a sin-tainted man. And so he had to come, and before he went into the Holy of Holies, he had to have a sacrifice made on his behalf, for his sin, to take his sin away. Otherwise, he would come as a sinful man before a holy God and he would be struck dead. And that's why they tied a rope around his one leg so that if he was killed in the Holy of Holies, they could at least pull him out of God's presence. That's the reality. God's holiness, man's sinfulness. You see, what the Lord in the Old Testament, he was making all these very vivid pictures for the people of how holy he is and how sinful they were. So see the pictures. And there's more. As this high priest came into the presence of the Holy of Holies, he could only stay there for a very limited time in God's presence. He would make his sacrifice before the Lord, and then he'd get out, lest the holy God strike him dead. Do you see the holiness of God? And to enter the Holy of Holies, there's a lot we need to learn here now, so you need to really just keep concentrating with me. Holy of Holies, the, the high priest had to pass through three areas of the temple on his way to the Holy of Holies. He took the blood that was to be sacrificed and he went through the outer court of the temple and he went through another door into the holy place in the temple and then he went through that thick veil, that curtain that hung in front of the Holy of Holies. He went through there, went behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies. So he went through these three areas of the temple. There's relevance to that. We'll come back to it. And he didn't sit down or delay. As soon as that sacrifice was made, he was out of there. And then in, in addition to the daily sacrifices, the special sacrifice happened year after year in a never-ending process before the Lord. Blood was sacrificed. Blood was spilt. Animals were killed. Sin was forgiven. Why did this happen year after year? Because the priesthood wasn't perfect. And the sacrifices they offered before the Lord weren't perfect either. They were a symbol of perfection that would come. And so we get to the perfect priesthood of Jesus. And I said I'll recap on some of this next time. So I can't go through all of it now. But Jesus' priesthood was perfect as a high priest. 
You see, this imperfect priesthood changed and ended when Jesus, the promised Messiah, right throughout the Old Testament, appeared and died on the cross. When Jesus took on himself the sin of the people, now stay with me, it was an actual taking on of their sin. No more symbolism here. He actually took on the sin of the world, those who would come to him and ask for forgiveness. He took it on himself. When he died on the cross and he was separated from his father, when the sin payment was made, it was an actual sin payment. It wasn't a symbolical payment anymore. He was the perfect high priest. How do we know that his perfect sacrifice was accepted by God? That propitiation had been made. The word propitiation, we looked at this with the men as we're studying Romans in our home group. Propitiation is in two parts. A price is set by God. Payment is made by God. Price is set. Payment is made. Propitiation is made. How do we know that propitiation was made? The evidence Jesus was resurrected. When he ascended back into heaven to the Father, says our text, verse 14, he passed through the heavens to the Father. Now, any Jew hearing that phrase, he passed through the heavens, immediately they'd separate that into three sections. Remember the Old Testament priesthood had to go through three sections in the temple to get to God? Jesus passed through the heavens. And in keeping with Jewish thought, he first went through the atmosphere, through the first heaven. And then as he was going to the Father, he went through the second heaven, through the outer space around the earth. And then he entered into the third heaven, which is where God dwells in Jewish thinking. So Jesus passed through the heavens. But when you hear that, you need to see the power of that statement. This is an almighty God returning to Almighty God. He passed through the heavens on our behalf. Jesus the High Priest. And He went into God's presence. He went into where God lives. He doesn't just, just stay in God's presence. He went to where God actually lived in Jewish thought. He went into the holiest of holies. Do you see the parallel? And here's the difference to the Old Testament high priest. Jesus went into the presence of God and he stayed there. He didn't have to be dragged out of the presence because he was perfect. He was a perfect high priest. He had paid a perfect sinless sacrifice, a once for all sacrifice. He had brought it to God and he was the perfect sinless high priest. And instead of standing, now get this, instead of standing between us and God, he brought people into God's presence. Do you see the difference? Instead of standing between sinful human beings and a holy God, he brought people into God's presence. The temple curtain was torn in two. Jesus opened the way. He's the perfect high priest. And that's not all. There's more to this. And there's the perfect son of God. That's the title given to him. He didn't just stay in God's presence. He sat down at the right hand of God. 
The high priest never sat down, ever in the temple. He was always on his feet. But Jesus said, it is finished. The work is done. He ascended to the Father and sat down on the Father's right hand. You see that picture? The Father had sent him to earth. He had come through the heavens. Mission accomplished. Quote, unquote. And he sat down at the Father's right hand. Was the perfect sacrifice. He is now the perfect high priest. But there's another part of the story. The soon to be returning one. When he returns. Is the perfect king. And we are part of that story. Of what Christ has done. And so the writer to the Hebrews appeals. To these wavering and partly committed Jewish believers. Why would you go back to an imperfect system under an imperfect high priest? Why? Hold fast to your true high priest, he says. Stand firm in your confession. What's the confession? That Jesus Christ is my Savior, my only Savior. My friend, is that the confession of your heart as you sit here this morning? Or is there doubt in you still? Confess Jesus Christ. The one who has come powerfully through the heavens. He is the only one who is the perfect Savior. He is sat, sitting down at the Father's right hand. And He is there for you. And He invites you into the Father's presence. And that's where we go next. He showed perfect humanity. And He invites us to the Father. The sad reality today is that if people think about God... And some do. Many of them think of him as being far removed from human life and our everyday existence. He's God up there. We're just down here on earth. There's separation between us. Many people see God like it. The old man in the sky. He can't know what I'm experiencing in this broken down world of mine. With its relationships, its bills and its stresses. How can he know what I'm going through? He's God. What does God know of overdue accounts? Jesus was never even in a romantic relationship with anyone. So what does he know about broken hearts? What does he know about sexual temptation? And the internet wasn't even around. And anyway, he's God. And I have real temptations. Yep, people think that way. You might be thinking that way. And yet scripture here in this um, verse, verse 15, states that Jesus, in his divinity, was a human like you and I. He faced real temptations. What does verse 15 say? Let's read it with me. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. You see, he was tempted in every way as we are. Every single way you can think of, he was tempted in that way. He had eyes to see the world around him. Temptation was all around him. He had feelings to deal with. He had emotions to deal with as a human. Because like us, he got tired after a hard day's work, didn't he? 
Look how he slept in that boat. Look how he slept on the hillside, away from his disciples. And then he was praying too. And he needed the strength he could get from his father. Like us, he got frustrated with people who just don't get it. Think of him and his disciples. All their time with him and they still didn't get what he was teaching. Jesus too had to be patient and long-suffering with his disciples. The same way you and I have to be patient and long-suffering with our children, with our clients. Jesus could have lost control in a moment's anger and misused his power to cancel, to use a modern phrase, the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were always gunning at him. But he didn't. He was tempted yet without sin. Jesus experienced temptation to an even greater degree that, than we do. Why? Because we don't feel the full force of temptation. Why is that? Because so often when temptation comes our way, we give in instead of holding out and feeling the full force of that temptation. Jesus didn't give in to a single temptation. He experienced the full force of temptation coming his way. And the epitome of this was when Satan, the chief tempter, was allowed to tempt Jesus. Think of that description in Scripture. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness with every temptation that was, brought, that was there at the fall. And Scripture classifies these into three groups according to 1 John 2.16. You can go and look that up. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, said the old King James. Three groups of sins, of temptations. You see, Eve was tempted with the lust of the eyes when she saw that fruit and the tree, and it was pleasant to the eyes. And then she took it. Eve was tempted with the lust of the flesh when she saw that fruit and it was forbidden, but it was good for food. And I want it. And she took it. Eve was tempted with the pride of life when she saw that it was the tree to be desired to make one wise like God. And so she took of the fruit. Jesus was tempted in these same three areas as well. Jesus was tempted with the lust of the flesh when he was urged by Satan, not commanded, urged by Satan, to command these stones to be made bread. What, is, what was wrong with that? Well, Satan was telling him to misuse his power and to not trust God to provide for him. There was a temptation. Jesus was tempted with the lust of the eyes when Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. What was the temptation? The temptation was to shortcut God's plan of salvation and to experience instant glory. The habit now temptation. Instant gratification. There's a third group of temptations that Jesus went through when Satan told him to cast himself from the temple roof. What was that temptation? To have the oohs and the ahs and the admiration of people. People pleasing. But Jesus fully knew temptation. He didn't give in to any of those. 
And therefore, says our text, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. What are you going through? Stood on a temple roof lately? He might not have had the internet and access to pornography, but Jesus could see the graphic sin portrayed around him in the society around him, which was very open about these things. He knew what was happening in the temples around him, in those temples to Diana and to all the others, the pagan temples. He was a man. He could see beautiful women all around him. He was tempted, but he didn't sin. He didn't know where to lay his head for rest. But he didn't misuse his power and create a mansion for him and the disciples. He withstood their temptation and he trusted his heavenly father to feed him, to clothe him, like his father cared for the sparrows and the lilies of the field. This is our Savior. You see, temptation isn't the sin, otherwise Jesus would have been sinning. It's not wrong to go through temptation. What is wrong is to give in to it. We all will be tempted, but we all don't need to give in to it. And as our great high priest, he shows us how near to us he is in his humanity. He knows our natures. He knows what we go through every day. And so we have this Perfect invitation put before us. Let us draw near, verse 16. Let's read it together. The invitation from Almighty God to you and I as we sit in this auditorium today. Let us then with confidence draw near to where? To the throne of grace that, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a beautiful invitation. Based on who he is, who is he? Our sinless sacrifice and our perfect high priest. Based on what he has done, he has opened the way for us directly into the presence of the Holy of Holies where God is. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why can we be confident? Is it because we're such good believers? Is it in our own abilities? No. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our best works are as filthy rags before the Lord. So it can't be that. So how can we come confidently before Almighty God? It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about who He is. We can come with confidence into the presence of Almighty God. Why? Because our great high priest has paid the price for every single little sin we have ever committed are committing and will commit. And so when we appear before God Almighty, we appear before Him holy because of Jesus, not because of us. And as the Jewish high priests once a year for centuries had sprinkled blood on that mercy seat for the people's sins, Jesus shed His blood once for all time for the sins of everyone who believes in him. My friend, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, come with confidence into the presence of Almighty God through Jesus Christ. You don't have to whimper and waver into his presence. Come with confidence in him. He has paid the price for your sin. The Lord Almighty won't strike you dead because of your sin. 
There is no rope around your leg. You don't have to be pulled out of his presence. He pulls you, he brings you into his presence. And you are there by invitation. Come because of Jesus Christ. He is your sin covering before God. At the throne of God, you can receive mercy because of Jesus. Why else can we come confidently? Because our great high priest is in the Father's presence and he invites us to join him. Come with me into my Father's presence. Not once a year, but any time. Whenever you need to come, come into my Father's presence. I am there. I will take your hand before my Father and I will intercede with for you in my Father's presence. I am there with him. Come all the way up to God's throne and receive mercy and grace when you need it. Before it's too late and your heart is hardened, come into my presence. Receive his mercy and his grace. Your time of need is today. We saw that previously. Your time of need is now. This is the time where you will receive help. You see, the word used there for help is timely help. It's help when you need it. He will give it to you. Fantastic, isn't it? Thank you, there's one. And then lastly, our great high priest, why should we come with confidence into God's presence? It's because he understands our weaknesses. He knows those very specific areas in our lives where we need help. Every time I want to fall over, Lord, help me in this area. And he does. He gives us specific timely help in times of trouble and temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 sums it up like this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not unique. Everyone is tempted. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with a temptation, he will, show, he will provide you with a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You don't have to give in to temptation. Jesus Christ has gone before you. Trust in him in that moment, and he will give you the help you need to get through without sinning. You don't have to give in. Don't listen to Satan's lie. This is too strong. Jesus Christ is almighty God. I want to put a question to all of you here this morning. What holds you and I back from this awesome throne and this open invitation today? What is there holding us back? This all-powerful Jesus has passed through the heavens to open a way to God for you and for me. And he says, come. You can't cope with life without divine aid. That's just human arrogance. Only God Almighty can help you through. Lay your excuses, lay your pride, lay your fears, lay your needs, your weaknesses, your self-sufficiency at the feet of the great high priest in heaven. And by faith in Christ, receive in return, what does he promise us? The grace, the mercy, the timely help from God, 
the one who understands you and I perfectly. Come. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, this is such an open and a powerful invitation for us to come. And yet, Lord, why is it that we don't come more often? Why is it that we seem to find excuses not to come into your presence, but to rather live with our sin? Lord, forgive us, we pray. Help us to come confidently into your presence because of you, Lord Jesus, and who you are and what you've done for us. And there is nothing bigger in our lives than what you are powerful. Nothing can hold us out of your presence if we bring it to the feet of Jesus Christ and leave it there. You've paid the price. The way is open. Help us now to come when we need it, and every time we need it. And you will give us your grace and your mercy.